Well, good morning. If you would open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Mark, we're going to begin a study in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord and seek His blessing. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy and reverent is Your matchless name. And Father, it's with fear and trembling that we bow before You this morning knowing that we come before the thrice holy God, the God of heaven and earth. And Father, how thankful we are that we can come into your courts, into your very presence, and call you our Father because of your mercy and your grace. And Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that you're God alone. We're thankful that you always do exactly according to thy will and thy purpose, and that no one can... Stay your hand or question what you're doing. And Father, I beg of you this morning that it would be thy will to bless us as we look into your word this morning. Father, bless us with the sight of our Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Father, I ask that you would enable me to rightly divide the word of truth, that you give me of your spirit and Father, enable me to do what no man is sufficient to do to preach Christ, to point sinners to Christ the Savior. And Father, be with us as, as we hear. And we beg that you'd apply your word to our hearts. Father, we ask that you would be with those who are away from us, that you'd give them traveling mercies, that you'd bring them back when it's time. Father, above all, we ask that you would be pleased today and in the coming days and, and weeks that you might be pleased to show us your glory. For it's in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. I've titled the lesson this morning, The Beginning of the Gospel. Now the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give us an account of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. They all give accounts of different things that the, the Lord did during his earthly ministry. A few events are found in all four Gospels. Most, most usually, there, an event might be just found in, in two or three of the, of the Gospels. But these four Gospels, they're, even though they, they deal with the same time frame, they deal with the things that, that, that the Lord was doing, they're not repetitive. They each give us a different view of the same person. They each give us a different view of Christ. The book of Matthew is written to show us Christ the King. Where is he who's born king of the Jews? Matthew shows us that Christ is the king from all, all eternity. The gospel of Luke shows us Christ is the son of man. The son of God became a real man. He became bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh, just like you and me, except with, without sin, so that he could be the representative of sinful men. God can't be the representative of a man, can he? He's got a different nature. So God took on him flesh. He became a man so he could be the representative of his people and undo for them everything Adam did to them. Then the Gospel of John shows us Christ as the Son of God. Luke, the Son of Man. John, the Son of God. John shows us the Lord Jesus Christ is God. That's why he has the right and the power to save sinners. Now Mark writes his Gospel to show us Christ the servant of God. As we go through this study, 
We're going to see this. The Son of God came in the flesh to be the Father's servant. He came to do the job that the Father sent him to do. He came to do the will of his Father. He didn't come to do his will. He came to do the will of his Father, which is exactly what a good servant does, don't they? They do the will of their Master. Christ came to accomplish the salvation of God's elect. That's why the Father sent him, to to save God's people. He came to make God's elect righteous. He came to justify them. And Mark, when he writes here of the of Christ the servant, he makes sure we, we know this. Christ got the job done. Christ the servant got the job done. The Lord Jesus Christ is the successful Savior who sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You know why he sat down there? The job's finished. There's no more work left to do. He finished it perfectly. The whole book of Mark is about Christ's obedience as the servant, his obedience to his father. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important that you may see the obedience of Christ? It's because his obedience is the obedience of his people. His obedience is the only obedience you and I will ever have before the father. That's why it's so important we see his obedience. John Gill calls this, this gospel of Mark, a joyful account of the ministry, miracles, actions, and sufferings of Christ. All of that is what it took to save sinners like us. And it's interesting, Mark doesn't tell us anything about the Lord's birth. He doesn't tell us anything about the, the Lord's earthly or early life. He, he doesn't tell us much about the Lord's life during these three and a half years of, of his ministry. Mark doesn't even tell us very much about the sermons and teachings of our Lord. But what Mark does is he gives us a, a deeper account of the miracles that the Lord did more than any of the other gospels. You see, Mark is writing to tell us of Christ's works, his acts, those things that he did, so that we can see that his work, his work of redemption is finished. And it's important for us to see that. This servant, the servant of God, he finished the work. And I'm telling you, that work, the work of Christ, the work of Christ in redemption, it makes a difference in the people he came to save. It makes a difference. I know that, that we're not perfect. I, you, you, I know you know that. I'm not saying that, that we're perfect. But I'm saying when, when God is pleased to reveal his son to us, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change. See, the Savior, God's servant, he does a work for God's people. His work of obedience, his work of obedience unto death, his sacrifice... That's a work for God's people to put their sin away, to make them make them righteous and justified before God. But the Savior also does a work in God's people, in them. He, he does both, a work for them and a work in them. And the writer of this gospel is a real good example of that truth. At one time, the, the writer of this gospel, we call him Mark, but it's John Mark. John Mark. You're familiar with, with John Mark. At one time, apparently, John Mark wasn't much. <laughs> he just he couldn't give a very good account of old John Mark. The Apostle Paul just was so confident 
that John Mark was not ready for the ministry. He divided with Barnabas over it. Barnabas thought John Mark was ready for the ministry. He wanted to take them on this missionary trip that Paul and Barnabas were, were going to go on. And the Apostle Paul was so convinced that John Mark was not ready for the ministry. He was not ready for this work. He divided with Barnabas over it. These men were close friends, close servants of God, and Paul divided with him over it. And there's no record in Scripture that Paul and Barnabas ever reconciled. But old Paul reconciled with John Mark. Listen to what Paul had to say about John Mark later. Well, well uh, Paul's in prison at Rome. Paul wrote to Timothy. Now this is the Apostle Paul. This man gave his life to preach the gospel to people. You think of that. I mean, he gave his life. He put his life in danger. He gave himself to be beaten, to be stoned, to be whipped. Also that he could preach the gospel to people. And while it looked like Paul's ministry was just, you know, being so successful, Paul had a lot of friends. Paul got th thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. Suddenly Paul didn't have no friends. <laughs> people deserted him. They turned their back on him. They wouldn't identify with Paul anymore. And Paul told Timothy, only Luke is with me. Everybody else has forsaken me. And Paul said, now, Timothy, I know you're planning on coming to see me. And when you do, bring John Mark. <laughs> He's profitable to me in the ministry. He's profitable. See, the work of Christ for John Mark also was a work in him, wasn't it? Made him grow in grace. Made him grow up and made him profitable, useful in the ministry. And then the Holy Spirit used John Mark to write this gospel to show us Christ the servant, to accomplish the work of redemption for his people because he did everything that it took to please his father, to make them righteous in the sight of his father. Now remember, Mark here is writing about the father's servant. In the, the book of Mark, reads like what I think um, a day in the life of a true servant um, it would really be like. Um, many of you might remember that show Downton Abbey. It had the upstairs rich folks and the downstairs, you know, the, the servant folks and how those servants, I mean, man, I mean, their whole life was about serving, wasn't it? Their whole life was. That's That's our Savior. That servant hits the ground running first thing in the morning. And that servant just goes quickly all day long from task to task to task to task. I mean, there, there, there's no OSHA rules requiring a 15-minute break and a half-hour lunch hour. I mean, just quickly going from task to task to task to task to serve the master, to make the master happy with them. And the true servant just keeps up that pace all day long until it's bedtime. And they go to bed. And you know why they go to bed? So they can get up early in the morning, hit the ground run, and do the same thing all over again. Quickly going from task to task to task. That's the way the, the, the gospel of Mark reads. I mean, he doesn't talk about the interlude between, you know, when the Lord, you know, did this miracle, did this work, and did this one. He just jumps right from one to the other. Right from one to the, just one to the next to the next to the next. That's what the three and a half years of our Lord's ministry was like. 
He just quickly went from task to task to task. Wouldn't take a break, would he? There he sat at the well there in Samaria. And that Samaritan woman comes up. He's thirsty. He's tired. He's hungry. He sent the disciples to get meat. But what was he doing? He was there to reveal himself to one of God's sheep. Just constantly, wasn't he? Constantly going from one thing to the next to the next. And he kept up that pace until from the cross he cried, it's finished. The, the job was finally finished. Now the very first book, or the very first, ver, first ver, verse of Mark tells us it's all Christ. The gospel is all Christ. Christ is all of the purpose of God. Christ is all in salvation. Christ is all in righteousness. Christ is all in justification. Christ is all in our holiness. It's all Christ. Look what he says here, Mark 1.1. 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now that word beginning, it, it means a whole lot more than the starting point. It, it does mean the starting point, but it means a whole lot more than that. The word has to do with principality and power. Principality and power. The word has beginning, has several meanings. The first one is this. It means the origin. Now Paul or Mark says here, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the origin. The good news of the gospel. The gospel has good news for sinners, doesn't it? You know where the origin of all that good news comes from? From Jesus Christ. It all comes from him. The good news of the gospel that we have to tell is all because Christ the servant accomplished all the work that the Father sent him to do. The gospel begins with Christ. He's the origin of it. And it ends with Christ. What did he tell John and Isle Pat Patmos? I'm Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. He's the origin of the gospel. Then second, the word beginning means the person or thing that commences everything. The person or thing that starts everything. It means the first person in a series. It means the leader. Now all of salvation is commenced. It all starts with the Lord Jesus Christ. It all starts with him. He's the first person. He's God's first elect. He's the first one. He is the one who has all of the preeminence. He's the leader of his people. He's the captain of our salvation. And all of the gospel, this is the gospel. I love how Mark says this. You know, we say, we just use the term gospel a lot. You know, does he preach the gospel? This man preaches the gospel. Well, there's lots of so-called gospels out there, isn't there? Lots of different messages. Mark makes sure we know exactly what he's talking about. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Christ. All the good news that we have to tell flows from Christ. It begins with Christ and it flows to his people from him. The Lord Jesus Christ is the fountainhead. He's the fountainhead of the gospel. He's the fountainhead of all mercy. He's the fountainhead of all grace. He's the fountainhead of forgiveness. He's the fountainhead of righteousness. He's the fountainhead of justification. He's the fountainhead of salvation. He's the beginning. Then third, this word beginning means that by which anything begins to be. 
The act of cause that causes things to be. Well, that's Christ our Savior, isn't it? He is the active cause of every blessing God sends to a sinner. He's the active cause of it. Christ is the active cause of mercy from the Father. Now, mercy is the judge not giving us what we what we actually do deserve. That's what mercy is. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is the active cause of mercy. Do you know why the Father, who is always just, who always does what's right, he never gives somebody something they don't deserve? Never. Never, ever, ever. You know why the Father, who's always just, is merciful to people like you and me? Why doesn't the Father give us what our sin actually deserves? Because he gave Christ our substitute what our sin deserves. Now he can be merciful to his people. Because Christ put that sin away. See, Christ is the active cause of mercy. You see that, don't you? Then the Father is gracious to his people because Christ is the active cause of grace. Now, grace is giving people what they do not deserve. Why does the Father give us what we don't deserve? We don't deserve to be forgiven of our sin. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve righteousness. We don't deserve any blessing. We don't deserve to be accepted to God. We, we don't deserve that God would ever hear us. We don't ever deserve that God would look on us in favor. Why does God give us what we don't deserve? Because he gives his people what Christ the servant earned as a man made under the law. See, Christ is the cause of grace. They, he is the reason the Father can be gracious to his people. Christ is the cause of the forgiveness of sin. You know why he is the active cause of the forgiveness of sin? Because our sin is forgiven by the blood of his sacrifice. He willingly shed his blood that the sin of his people would be forgiven. He's the cause of it. Christ is the cause of righteousness. You and I can never make ourselves righteous. But God says his people are righteous. They are. Now, what's the cause of that? How did that happen? Christ the Savior. He hath made him sin for us. Him who knew no sin, that we, sinners like us, might be made righteous. Made the righteousness of God in him. Christ is the cause, the active cause of righteousness. Righteousness, it all comes. Every, every blessing of God that you can think of, it all comes from Christ. It's never because of what we've earned. It's never because of what, what we deserve. It's always because of what Christ has earned. God's blessings never come to us because who we are. It's always because of who Christ is. He's the active cause of it. Now I've said, said this once so far in this lesson. And it can't be said once too often. I try to tell you this all the time. The gospel is a person. It's a person. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of who he is. The gospel is not the right set of doctrinal statements. Now, if you got the person, you'll have, you'll, you'll understand the doctrine. If you got the person, the, the doctrine will be, be plain to you. But you can have the doctrine and not have the person. You can have the doctrine and not have life. The gospel is not somebody spitting out the right you know, a number of doctrinal statements. The gospel is a person. 
It tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel points us to Christ. It tells us who Christ is. Mark tells us here, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This man, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, he's a real man. People knew him. People that, that, that would, would read this gospel when Mark, Mark first wrote it, many of them knew this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Mark said he's the Son of God. That man is the Son of God. He's the God-man, both God and man. He's God so he can satisfy God. He's God so he can satisfy God's holiness. He's God so he can satisfy God's justice and righteousness. And he's a man so he can be our representative. He's a man so he can die. The, The law demands death for our sin. God became a man so he could die. Die in the place of his people so that they'd never die. That's who Christ is. He's the God-man. That makes him, since he's God and man, he's the only one qualified to save sinners. Then the gospel tells us what it is that Christ accomplished. You know, a lot of people talk about what, what Christ accomplished, and usually what you hear is this. He accomplished something if you do something to ratify it, if you do something to, to make it apply to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us this. Here's what Christ accomplished. Eternal redemption for his people. He brought in eternal righteousness. He brought in redemption for his people. and They're, they're redeemed. They're redeemed. And he'll see to it that they're given life. He, he, their salvation is accomplished. They cannot perish. Then the gospel tells us why Christ did what he did. Now, why did the Son of God come in the flesh? Why did he do all these things that, that, that we read of him? Why did he do that? Everybody knows Christ died on a cross, right? Everybody knows. That, I mean, pretty much in the whole world, everybody knows Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. Everybody knows that. But you know what nobody knows unless God teaches them? Why? Why did he come? Let me tell you. God's word tells us he came so that God could be just and holy and right and still justify sinners like you and me. That's why Christ came. And then the gospel tells us where Christ is now. He's seated in glory. He's seated on the throne in glory. And like I said a little bit ago, you know why he's seated? The job of salvation is done. It's done. Janet and I, uh, most of you know, live in a in a very very old house. I'm not much of a handyman, but what handyman things you know that I can do around the house, um, you know, it takes longer than it should when I'm doing it. It's exhausting, you know, when I do it. And man, I gotta sit down all the time. I mean, I'm doing so. I gotta sit down all the time. I gotta take a break. I gotta catch my breath. It's never finished. It's never finished. I mean, I'm getting pushing 60 years old. We got 50 years of work to do on that house, you know. I mean, it's never going to get done. Do you know why Christ sat down? Dan, the job is done. That's why he says the job is done. See, the gospel tells us that Christ is the beginning. 
He's the cause. He's the fountainhead. He's the active cause for everything that God will ever do for a sinner. And I thought three things that I wanted to uh, give you before we quit this morning. The first one is this, about Christ being the beginning. Christ is the beginning of creation. John 1.1 says this. Remember, now John 1.1, the Gospel of John, shows us Christ, the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. I mean, right in the very first sentence, John tells us what his whole Gospel is about. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Everything in this physical creation, you know how it came to be? The Lord Jesus Christ spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light and there was light. Let the dry land appear and it appeared. Let the animals appear and it appeared. Let the firmament appear and be divided. He said it and it was so. And when it was all done, God said it's very good. Everything that exists, exists because of him. And it's all sustained because of him. He's the beginning. He's the cause of this creation. But something more than that. Creation was also made for Christ. It was made for his glory. Colossians 1.16 says all things were made by him. Anybody with any sense knows that. Somebody made all this and it had to be God. Somebody made this. This didn't evolve. This is stupid. I guess that's not politically correct, but that's so. It's stupid. God made all this. But you don't want to know what's so wonderful? I mean, this is wonderful. It was also made for him. For him. Almighty God created the world by speaking. He made a perfect garden. And from the dust of the earth, he formed a man. He put that man in that garden. He took a rib out from him one day, made him a help me. There's the man and the woman. Perfect. In a perfect garden. And one day, Adam took that fruit that God told him not to eat, and he ate it. He did it on purpose. He did an open rebellion against God, saying, I'm going to be God. I'm going to be the one to make the rules. I'm going to be the one to decide what's good and evil. That's why Adam took that fruit. Now, did that surprise God? Of course not. God knew what Adam was going to do. Why didn't God stop him? Huh? Why didn't God stop him? It would have stopped a whole lot of pain and suffering and darkness in this world. If God had just stopped Adam from sinning against him with it. Let me tell you why God didn't stop him. Because this creation was made for Christ. It was made for his glory. God made this creation. Put man in it and allowed man to fall. So that Christ could get glory. And save him sinners out of it. That's why. That's why he's the beginning of creation. He's the cause of it. Then, second, Christ is the beginning. He's the cause of the new birth. The second, the creation that's born in the hearts of God's people. 
Do you know what the very first miracle that's recorded in Scripture that our Lord performed? He went to that wedding feast, Cana of Galilee, and they ran out of wine, and he turned the water into wine. That's the first miracle that our Lord performed. And this is how John describes that miracle. John 2.11, the beginning of miracles. Did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now this is the beginning of miracles. It's the preeminent one. It's the, it's the cause. Turning the water into wine. Making the water to be what it was not. That is the preeminent miracle that our Lord ever performed. It's a miracle that pictures what God does for his people in the new birth. He makes his people to be a new creation. Now, God doesn't change the flesh into spirit, but he causes a new man to be born. And that new man is the opposite of that old man. It's like wine, in many ways, is the opposite of water, right? The new man is the opposite of the old man. Christ is the beginning. He's the cause. He's the fountainhead of that new birth. And then third, the first creation. It's all about Christ. He's the cause of it. It was created for his glory so that he'd have the glory in saving sinners. Well, you know what? The second creation is going to be all about Christ too. When Christ returns, God's going to be done with this earth. He's going to burn it up. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. All the effects of sin will be gone. Now we don't know a lot about heaven. We don't know a lot about what, what, what will be in eternity. But I do know eternity in heaven is this. It's all about Christ. You know, there are folks in heaven, I'm convinced right now, with the Savior. I'd like to see again someday. But Jonathan, I don't know if I ever get around to it. It's all about Christ. It's about seeing Him. It's about being with Him. It's about being made like Him. Heaven is not going to be about us getting an eternal vacation. Heaven is not even about us being able to live without the effects of sin anymore. Heaven is about the glory of Christ. That's why there's a place called heaven. And people are going to be there. I hope we will be. And you know why people are going to be there? So they can give Christ all the glory. (laughs) So they can gather around his throne and sing his praises and talk about what he's done for us. Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning. He's the cause. He's the reason for heaven. And as we go through this, uh, this gospel, I hope that, uh, that we, we see that more clearly throughout these 16 chapters. It's all Christ. He's the beginning. All right. I hope the Lord will bless that to you.